the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our God is the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And if anybody can make a way for you, he can. If anybody's worthy to call the shots, he is. And he did. God demonstrates his love for us, even though we're sinners. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. The world is a dark place. And we need the light and the love of Jesus Christ. I heard about this young man that had decided he was going to marry the girl of his dreams. So he went to a diamond shop and the jeweler said, I'm going to pick out the best diamond. And he he took a few diamonds into the palm of his hand and he held one diamond up to the light. And the guy looked at it and he kind of shook his head. He held another diamond up and he kind of shook his head. And he held another diamond up and he kind of shook his head. And, And the jeweler decided I need to change my approach. And so he put those diamonds down and And he took that glass counter there in the jewelry store and he spread a black velvet cloth across the glass counter. And then he took a pair of tweezers and he proceeded to pick up those same diamonds. And he came to that first diamond. And when that diamond on that black cloth began to catch the light of the room and and begin to sparkle and and begin to shine. Uh, uh, That young man, he just got a big smile on his face and he said, yes, I knew I would recognize it when I see it. He was looking at the same stone he had seen a moment before, but the darkness around it made it seem so much brighter. Sometimes people get frustrated when they come to church and we talk about sinfulness or they read the Bible and they hear sin outlined. What I I want you to understand, the purpose of this passage, the description of the darkness of this world is so that you can see the significance of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can see how much we all need the gospel. So with that in mind, let's glance into the darkness, okay? We're not going to gaze, but we're going to glance. G.K. Chesterton said, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. So Paul said, they've rejected the truth about God. They've suppressed the truth. And they've done their own thing. Listen again to the sin list. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Wow. That's a dark list. And every one of us can see ourselves somewhere in that list. I want to remind you how we began this discussion. We're all sinners. This is not an exhaustive list of sin, but it's a pretty thorough list. And as you look at a list like this, you see things that are struggles in your life. Paul's describing unrepentant sinfulness where you go through life kind of thumbing your nose at God. You've kind of heard even in Jonathan's story at the beginning how it's easy to get to that place where you just decide you're the master of your fate. You're going to do what you want to do. You'll roll with the punches. You'll take the punches because at least you're in charge. And that's what a lot of us do. And this list is a result of that decision. It's a life intent on living by our desires rather than God's design. It's not surprising that he begins this list with homosexuality. It's not surprising because really our, our sexuality was at the core of that original design of God. Remember what happened in the garden? God made everything. And then he took from the dust and he scooped out the dirt and he made Adam, mankind. And he said, all right, go out there and conquer this brave new world. But Adam looked around and he's like, man, I'm lonely. I need somebody else. And that giraffe, man, that thing is way too tall. And, and, and that gorilla, that thing is way too hairy. And, and that bird will, I mean, it just keeps flying away. And, and so God says, good point. Let me make for you the perfect compliment, the helpmate. So he gives Adam some anesthesia. And he takes from Adam's side his rib And he creates Eve, his good thing, the prime rib. Not from Adam's foot so that he would trample over her. Not from Adam's skull so that she might manipulate him, but from Adam's side so that they'd be hand in hand, side by side, complimenting one another. And there they were in the garden And when Adam woke up and Eve woke up, you know what Adam said? Whoa, man. This is very, very good. 
That's God's design. So if we're beginning to talk about how do you pervert, how do you delude, how do you complicate God's design, it makes sense that a sin list begins with homosexuality. And yet, it's important to note that he doesn't stop at that sin, does he? He gives a lot of sins on that list. Sins that we can all relate to regardless of anything else in our life. Yet among Christ's followers today, there seems to be disagreement about this particular sin and about sexual sin in general. So since we're just walking through the passage of Scripture, I want to take a few moments and address this. A few things you need to understand about a biblical worldview of homosexuality. Number one, the Bible is clear. The practice of homosexuality is wrong. The Bible clearly calls that sin. It would be incorrect and unwise to assume, as some people do today, that God doesn't care about this sin. That what Paul refers to here is outdated or doesn't take into practice the culture of our day. In fact, remember to whom Paul was writing. The church in Rome. What do we know about Rome? Even in Paul's day, many of the Roman emperors were practicing homosexuals. This was not something foreign to the culture of that day. Paul refers to lesbianism because that was not as common in that day. But that male practice of homosexuality, man, it was. And that God's word clearly calls that sin. Because the Bible calls homosexuality sin, it would also be wrong to excuse this or any other sin by claiming, I was just born this way. Think about that for a moment. Do I believe that most people who struggle with homosexual attraction do have some sense that they've always felt that way? That seems to be the case with people I've talked to. But I also recognize that about other sin issues in our life. There's a lot of us that are born with a propensity or a proclivity to certain sins. Whether it be alcoholism or other addictions. Whether it just be that sexual attraction in general to a, a person of the opposite sex. Can, can you imagine if, if I walked into my wife Kimberly after 29 years of marriage and said, Baby, I'm, I'm sorry that I keep cheating with these other women, but I'm just telling you, that's the way I was born. I'm just, I'm constantly attracted to other women. Yeah, I think she would take a baseball bat and beat me upside of the head. I, I don't think that would be okay. The reality is you are born as a sinner. That's what we all have in common. But that, dear friends, is why we must be born again. That's why we need the hope of the gospel. Because of Jesus, we can be born again. We can be free of these chains of sin. You may have been born with innate anger or innate susceptibility to addictive behaviors or innate sexual desire. But in God's economy, desire never trumps his design. 
And when you elevate your desires above God's design, you always do so at your own detriment. That's why Paul would say, even to speaking of the men in homosexuality, and they did so even at the expense of their own punishment. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. I want to remind you of something, though. Desire in itself is not sin. You do realize that, right? We have these temptations we battle. And I've come to believe that even in this area, uh, there are people that that struggle with uh, desire. Men for other women, women for other men than their spouses. There are people who struggle with desire that is called same-sex attraction. So what do you do with that desire? The half-brother of Jesus spoke to this in James. Listen to verse 14 of chapter 1. But each person's tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Desire becomes sin when I act on that desire. That's why, again, as I talk to folks who struggle with same-sex attraction, often there are many of them who say, I have prayed that God would just take away this desire. When I talk to folks who struggle with addictive behaviors toward alcoholism or drugs, I know many who would say, I've prayed that God would just take away this desire. And that's not always the way it works. But that desire can't trump God's design. It's not the natural way. What we know from Scripture is that any sexual sin that goes against God's plan of one man and one woman together in a marriage relationship, any sexual sin outside of that is wrong and against the will of God. You don't get to call the shots just based on how you feel. But there's a second truth. The Bible is also clear that homosexuality is not an unpardonable sin. How do I know that? Well, listen to the author of Romans chapter 1 as he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
You know what that tells me? There's no sin I can commit that's unpardonable as long as I acknowledge that Jesus is the one who calls the shots in my life. I repent of that sin. I agree with him about that sinfulness. And I seek his help in turning from that sin. If this is not true, why would Paul, again, the same writer, say in 1 Timothy chapter 1, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Paul was saying, I want you to understand something. Sin will separate you from God. Sin will necessitate the wrath of God in your life. And by the way, I'm the worst sinner I know. And I'll I'll say that too. I'm the worst sinner I know. And you know, this isn't a counseling session, although probably most of us could use some therapy. Let me help you today. If you want to, maybe let's just say that together. I'm the worst sinner I know. I'm the worst sinner I know. You see, when you recognize that, you begin to understand what Paul is doing here. In this list alone, he's covering a host of sin issues. He shows what it's like when God removes restraint. But you know that, right? Man, I I look at choices I've made in specific areas of my life, and the first time I made that choice, man, it was hard. It was like, I don't know if I can take this step. I don't know if I can do it. I'm going to do it. And guess what? When I make that sinful choice, when I take that step, I notice something. It's not as hard to do it the next time. It's not as hard to do it the next time. Why? God gives us up. He removes restraint. And then we just go into a slippery slope of sin. You've done this. We're mostly adults gathered here. You know this truth, right? That you you sin in one way and then before you know it, you sin in another way to cover it up. And then before you know it, you got a whole host of sins in your life. And so you've got a list like this. Look again at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, sexual sins. But he doesn't stop there. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, societal sins. Well, what causes a person in, 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 with race, racist ideology to go into a store and, and to murder people in a senseless fashion? It's sin. It's societal sin. Then he says they're gossips and slanders and haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. What is this? this is just social sins. Sin affects our character, our conduct, and our conversation. It even affects our companionship. It 
affects and it infects every area of our life. So I'm going to ask you again, where are you on that list? None of these by themselves are unpardonable sins, but all of these are symptoms of the unpardonable sin, which is rejecting God and replacing his rule with yours. You decide you're calling the shots. What Paul's describing here is something that is a theological principle. It's called total depravity. Without Jesus, you and I are totally depraved. That's why, though it's not popular, when you hear someone say, at our core, we're all good. No, we're not. At our core, our heart is exceedingly wicked. Total depravity doesn't mean everything we do is ever sinful. It means every part of our being from head to toe is infected with sin. Our minds are darkened. Our hearts become shameful. Our bodies are degraded. Our lives then are destroyed. And that, my friend, is why we need the gospel. It's the power of God to everybody for righteousness. When we push aside God's glory, we're overcome with our guilt, whatever our sin. Rosaria Butterfield was a practicing lesbian. She was a professor of literature at and women's studies at Syracuse University. But in her story, she says that Romans chapter 1 brought her to Christ. It began in an argument with a pastor. She was arguing about the religious right in their views on homosexuality. But the pastor who led her to Christ refused at first to argue about lesbianism. He told her that according to Romans 1, the real issue was who got to call the shots in her life, how she defined herself, how she was going to seek fulfillment. So Romans 1, Rosaria says, revealed my heart to me. Romans 1 showed me that we all go through what Eve went through in the garden We all ask, who gets to declare what is good? What is the Lord in my life? My desire or the word of God? She said that means repentance for the gay and lesbian person looks fundamentally the same as it does for the straight or the religious person. God, I'm sorry for elevating my desires over your will. I'm sorry for attempting to define my identity apart from your design for me. I'm sorry for taking on myself the authority to declare what's good. I'm sorry for seeking satisfaction and self-fulfillment rather than from giving glory to you. I recognize that Jesus is Lord and I turn over control to him. That's what repentance looks like. Whether you're gay or straight or rich or poor or young or old or Jew or Gentile or black or white, we all come to Jesus in the same way. The core sin for all of us is this desire to play God, to call the shots in our life. And so repentance looks the same for all of us, as does salvation. And here's the good news. This gospel that we're talking about, This Jesus that we're getting to know, he came to save all sinners. Matters not what kind of sinner you are. 
It matters what kind of Savior He is. And oh, what a Savior He is. Oh, what a Savior He is. So who's going to call the shots in your life? See, the, the only answer to our total depravity is the complete righteousness of Christ. So, so let me remind you of what we've been learning and, and, and what you can express even through these little bracelets. The truth is every person, every man, every woman, regardless of these desires with which you have in your mind and in your heart, we're all in the same situation We're all sinners, and that sin separates us from God. And the truth is, no matter how good we are, if you put that sin on a scale, it's always going to tip against our favor. Our sin is always going to outweigh our goodness. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.